Welcome to the Power to Create Yourself with Ross Rameen. If you or someone you are close to is dealing with addiction, there are so many programs out there that can help you. But how do you gauge which ones are going to work the best for you? Some are expensive, some deal with some of the issues, but don't get to the heart of the matter. Others treat the problem at a basic level, but don't determine ultimate success. Join us now for an hour that sets out to be truly groundbreaking and will help you discover how to find the best program for your addiction problem. Now, here is Ross Rameen. Hi, good morning. This is Ross Rameen, and this is The Power to Create Yourself. We are coming to you from Los Angeles, California. At the Rebos Treatment Center. Um, we're so glad that you joined us today. Um, really, really appreciate it. Um, we've got a fabulous show today. Um, we have two guests today. We have um, Julia Gindy, who is a chemical dependency counselor, and then later on we have um, uh, William Cusack, who's a spiritual counselor. Um, both um, specialties are so vital uh, when treating drugs or alcohol. Um, and to get over uh, the necessary uh, roadblocks that you'll be coming into. I want to jump in real uh, right away with Julia, who's uh, with me here at the Rebels Treatment Center, um, and really get kind of the nitty-gritty of what we do and what she really does more specifically um, in her expertise. How are you doing? Good morning. Good morning, Ross. Thank you for having me. You got it. You got it. Um, Julia, I came across a fact this morning that I thought was um, astounding. Um, I actually had my the bookkeeper down the hall, had her come in here because I thought the numbers were wrong. I was doing literally simple math, basically adding two and two together to come up with a n- number and then dividing by 365 days out of the year. Every year, um, well, every day, I should say, we lose 206 people to either a drug or alcohol um, uh, death in this country. It's astounding. It's absolutely astounding. And as you being a chemical dependency counselor, I just wanted to leave that on you know our listeners' mind, that 206 people die every day in this country uh, from either an alcohol or a drug-related uh, incident. Mm-hmm. And you are at the front line of this more than anybody. You... Just to kind of describe what your job is, because I did your job for a while um, in my, you know, before I ran a treatment center, and you have one of the gnarliest, hardest um, jobs that I can possibly think of. Yeah. It really is. You get, and tell me if I'm wrong when I say this, a client comes into your office they do an intake, they come into your office, and this is, I'm sure, you know, chemical dependency counselors at a variety of treatment centers across the country can relate to this, is a client comes into your office, they're either a few days sober, if if they're lucky, a couple months um, or a couple hours, and, you know, just in the past couple hours, a couple of days ago, they they were sticking a needle in the arm, they were snorting cocaine, um, drinking excessively, um, you name it, they're doing it, and they've they've come to ask you for help, kinda, as I always like to say. <laughs> you know, their words say something, but their actions do another. Mm-hmm. And you have to earn their trust. You don't even know them. You have to point out things kindly, kind of like constructive criticism in a sense, but with a ton of love. Um, I don't know. Explain your job, what you go through on a daily basis. 
Um, so you bring up losing that many clients um, to drug abuse. It's just not them that we're losing. We're also losing families in this. So what I do is, yes, I try to build up trust with my client, but then I also try to build up trust with the family because the family is just as traumatized as they are. So when I try to bring in family, I try to bring communication skills with me. I try to teach our clients how to communicate and connect again with their family because really that's who's been supporting them and loving them throughout their lives. When I build that connection, um, I also have to bring the attention to our clients that their drug, drug abuse, it wasn't just about them. A lot of times they think, oh, I'm just hurting myself. They're not. They're hurting everyone around them, everyone who cares about mm-hmm. them and loves them. So bringing that to their attention. Mm-hmm. Um, Before you bring that to their attention, though, I mean, you're dealing with in my mind, in the way that I always think about it is just because you're not literally today or yesterday or a week ago or a month ago actively drinking or doing drugs, there's the, the person, the client, the patient, whatever you want to call them, mm-hmm. is still so actively a drug addict. You can be a drug addict without actually doing drugs mm-hmm. today. You know, act like and you can act like a drunk without actually drinking today or even the last 10 years, so to say, it, mm-hmm. the term dry drunk always comes up. How do you, I mean, what you just said makes total sense, but even before that, just to get the, the trust of the client to sign off on the fact that you would like to talk to their family, mm-hmm. to sign off on the fact that this client is actually on a window ledge, so to say, mm-hmm. and you have, you have to, you can't even do treatment on them, therapy on them, counseling on them without bringing them inside of the window first. Mm-hmm. You're, you're like a first responder and, it, you know, it, part of your session is like first response. You so know. that's a really good point. I like how you put that. Um, it is. It's reaching, it's reaching out with love, attention. But I think the most important component to that is to allow the client to see, hey, this isn't who I am when I'm drinking or using. That's not who I am. That is how I act when I'm drinking and using, but that's not who I am. And that clarification helps the client realize, okay, so if I stay sober, then maybe I can be who I really am. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe I can achieve in life set goals. So that's one of the things that I do with my clients is I try to help them learn what their goals are, you know, reestablish them in society. So doing that is teaching them, one, that they have a learned behavior. That learned behavior is as soon as I have a problem, I reach for drugs. As soon as I feel stressed out, I reach for drugs. So that learned behavior, as long as the client understands that's our go-to, then maybe at this point when they start to trust me and hear what I'm saying, that they say, okay, if that's my learned behavior, I'll I'll adjust myself. You kind of have to sell them on a dream. That's true. I mean, it's literally what it is. You have to, you have to tell them how to live a life that they've never lived before, or mm-hmm. or they've lived it, but it's been you know decades, years, whatever it is, from the last time they've done it. And a lot of times they've never even done it because 
you know, as I always say, there's, you know, you take, you know, you have before puberty and you have after puberty in life. Mm -hmm. And most people in this world start drinking and doing drugs, give or take puberty, you know, Mm -hmm. probably the, you know, the mid to later side of it. Some are younger in the beginning stages of and or before it. Well, let's stick with the average. Let's just call it 16, you know, because it's kind of in the middle-ish. They almost, you know, you have your regular life path that goes from, birth to puberty and then you kind of turn into a man or into into a woman but then there's this little side street that takes off because you start smoking weed you start drinking you start doing heroin you start whatever happens in high school and it's kind of like this weird kind of annex road that kind of cruises off so they've actually never gone how like the natural transition from adolescent to adult they've turned into an adult of substance abuse kind of um not abuser i would say at that early age maybe it's more like um i don't know what what would you it's like uh, it's like identity almost i I don't know what that would be so it is an identity because it it becomes something that they do on a daily basis Mm -hmm. now there are a lot of people that believe that because the person started using at 16 that that's where they stop learning that's where they stop their emotional um, recover their emotional pathway, right? So at 16, we're learning how to date. We're learning how to communicate with others. We're learning connection. So the drug abuser or the alcoholic, when they start at 16, they're using different tools to connect. So it's bringing- they're using the drugs tools. That's right. They, they lose the confidence that the drugs give them or the security or whatever. That becomes their security blanket. Yeah. So it's taking that security blanket away in a very kind and loving way. Hey, listen, you're an adult now. You want to live life or you wouldn't be here right now. So let's start on that path. So if I have to start when they're 16, it goes very quickly. It's because they're here um, a few hours a day from four to six hours a day, and then they go to a sober living for the rest of the day, mm-hmm. it's their they're, um, it's like a warm blanket. And I know a lot of addicts use that uh, terminology for heroin or for cocaine. It's a warm blanket, mm-hmm. right? So we take that warm blanket away of addiction and we give them the warm blanket of connection, mm-hmm. the connection to healthier people, people who are making it through this, people who are living their lives and dealing with their problems without drugs and alcohol. That's so hard, though. You know, we lose 206 people a day. And by the way, I think that number is conservative. Mm-hmm. Um, Julie and I were talking before the show, and we, we believe that number is extremely conservative. And as I was doing research last night and this morning, it's hard to get a really accurate number, you know, of what this is because there's so many deaths that go uninvestigated. Mm-hmm. Uh, people don't want to... Um, acknowledge what has actually happened. They just want to say, oh, they lived a good life, this or that. Um, Families are embarrassed. There's stigma in society. Um, That is what addicts and alcoholics have to face on a daily basis. No matter where they go or what they do, there is that stigma. So not only are we fighting a life and death disease, but we're also fighting society. 100%. So you're right. It is a very difficult situation that our clients get put in, but they're doing it. And that's where self-esteem gets built. So how do you build? So 
you know, and I and I speak from you know just in my own personal experience. I was sold from day one that I was I was severely broken, and um, and, I, and my counselor wasn't saying that I was broken in like a bad way and kind of like you know shaming me or anything like that. He was just stating what was in front of him. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just I was a broken I was a broken down guy. Um, he's like, you're broken. You basically have a hole in your soul that, mm-hmm. you know, as you were, you know, growing up, you basically could either go with the love and the support of your family and the guidance and all that kind of stuff to, or you put, I put drugs into it. I put alcohol into it. Um, how, you know, my hardest thing was, is really like buying into what he was telling me. He's like, if you stop drinking, and you stop using drugs, and if you go to a sober living house, or if you, not even that, I mean, a bunch of different things, you're going to have bliss, you know? Mm-hmm. So, like, this concept, it's, and I always call it, and we're going to get into this in the next hour, I call it, when somebody comes, tries to tr- change their life, there is always a spiritual connection there, because you need to find, in order to have success, whether it's in business, or in recovery, in any sports, you have to be in, like in a spiritual rhythm with yourself, mm-hmm. you know, really know what your limits are and what aren't your limits, you know, your whole boundaries for what you exist in. So when he was selling me this whole idea, and that's why I said to him, you're going to have to sell me on this dream because cocaine right now is giving me love and support that unlike anything I've ever done. And the people I get to hang out with, they're not judging me, so to say. <laughs> so when you talk to people, and I ran into this myself, and it was so crucial because it's like you've had a DUI, you've been to the hospital X amount of times, your family's kicked you out, you're dead broke, and your goldfish literally does not like you. <laughs> Everybody is totally over you. You know, you could sell them on this dream, like, but why don't they bite on it? I mean, we're losing 206 people a day from this stuff. It's like if you tell somebody they've got cancer and they're going to do whatever they got to do to get over it, whatever they got to do, any other disease that's out there, it's like, I'll stop eating this so I don't have to have this heart disease or this. People get spooked. If you do something day after day and that's your way of dealing with life and that's your life skills, that is something that's hardwired into your brain. Those are your neuropathways. There's no way around that. That is how our brains work. Now, if you get this client who there's one spark in him that he wants this. Julie, I want this. I want to be back with my family. I want to be back with my loved ones. I want to live more a a normalized life. I want to learn how to build my own self-esteem. When that happens, that one little spark, what you do is you take that spark and you tell them you're worth it. You can do this. And by doing that, you're giving them some of your own empowerment, and then they take that empowerment, and then they start to learn some skill sets. That's like the the crack yeah. in the shell, so to say, that mm-hmm. you can start. Right. So now they have to build new neural pathways. That takes time, mm. and it takes energy, and it's frustrating because we're not always successful in building new neural pathways. It's, it's just like normal life. Mm. Some days are great. Some days aren't. But that addict and alcoholic, that neural pathway will go to the old behavior as opposed to a new learned behavior. Yeah, it's 
this isn't an on and off switch. And, you know, we, you know, I know Julia runs into this every day. I'm bombarded by calls from loved ones that, that this is, why can't they just get this? Why this is like, none of the rest of the family does this, or we do this, or we do that. And they look at it as a, is an on off switch. And people totally, I think, put aside just the force of habit. Mm-hmm. There's habits that your loved ones are doing out there. Um, I say this to the listeners that you as a family don't even know that they're doing. It's just, it's habits. That's right. It's, and it's going. And I remember when I was going through treatment, somebody told me um, um, that there, that it took 21 days for a habit to go away. And, and I remember going on, I'm like, that's just nuts. Mm-hmm. 21 days. You're, but, I mean, you're, yeah, go ahead. But that's, that's the great thing about this. It's just 21 days as opposed to looking at it. What do you mean, Julia? 21 days. I'm never going to make it 21 days, but every day we check off. Okay. It's 20 now, 19, 18. Yeah. That's building their self, their self-awareness and their self-esteem and their self-worth. And that's something that they don't want to let go of. Yeah. I think the, I think more or less the habits, at least what I've noticed, they go away after like 90 days. Mm. I think that's more of a, you that know. That is realistic. I think it is realistic. I think 21, I think certain, I think you see a lot of changes there. Mm-hmm. But I think at 90 days, you're really finding a lot of different changes going on. Because, you know, you're not just facing, you know, just the, drug and alcohol, like chemical dependency, you know, you're a chemical dependency counselor. It's just not that you're dealing with the beliefs and the attitudes too, that go along with it. It's like you're, they have a relationship with this drug Mm -hmm. and they have a a relationship with that bottle. I mean, that is a sexy beast. They absolutely do. They wake up with it. They go to sleep with it. It's their loved one. And I'm asking them to get a divorce. Yeah. And you're gonna have to trust them that, you know what, there's a better partner out there for Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. for them to get along with it. And to move on with it. That's right. It's unbelievable. You know, 206 people die every year from this stuff. And it's mind-blowing to me that, and which is an extremely conservative number, I average anywhere from three to four phone calls a week um, from people that I know have died from this. And it is so just gut-wrenching. Absolutely gut-wrenching. And I think it's, you know, it's about time that, you know, you know, the states, I mean, you just told me, we're going to have to wrap up in a second, that um, you just read an article, I know you can't remember where it's from, that um, 28 people died in one day in one town in Minnesota a few few weeks, months ago? No, this last week. This last week. Uh-huh. Um, we'll try to get that uh, stat for you guys for next time, but that's astounding. Mm-hmm. This isn't just, um, this isn't just, I want to not drink and do drugs and right or wrong. This is, this is deep. This but. is an epidemic, and... Places like Rebos, what what we do here is allow the parents, I've got a loved one and I'm scared to death of losing that loved one. Help me out here. Yeah. And that's what we do. We, we hold them and we help them kind of trudge through this at the beginning. And then all of a sudden they're graduating and there's a light. Yeah. And that's the beauty of what we do here. Wonderful. Julia, I can't thank you enough for coming. Thank you so much. My pleasure. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks, guys. We'll be right back. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Getting sober isn't just about not drinking and not doing drugs. It's a way of life. 
At Rebos, we have a team of talented professionals, each with their own clear and distinct message to walk clients from the darkest point in their lives out into the light. Rebos offers a carefully curated selection of groups and workshops in addition to a minimum of six individual sessions per week. At Rebos, we believe there are no cookie-cutter clients, and we meet every individual where they are at today. It's not a Rebos program. It's your program. Our team wants to help as many people as possible become who they want to be. And if you don't know who you want to be, we'll help you. Visit Rebostreatment.com to learn more about the Rebos Treatment Center. That's R-E-B-O-S Treatment.com. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to The Power to Create Yourself with Ross Ramin. To find out more about Ross and the program, visit the Rebos Treatment Center website at rebostreatment.com. Now, back to the power to create yourself. Hi, welcome back. This is Ross Ramin. This is the power to create yourself. We are coming to you from Los Angeles, California at the Rebos Treatment Center. Um, If you'd like to get in touch with me or any questions, um, you can always email me at ross at rebostx.com. Um, and I'll be happy to answer any questions for you, um, and so on and so forth. Um, last hour, we, or last segment, we were just with Julia Guinea, who is a chemical dependency counselor uh, here in Los Angeles, and we were going over the facts um, about what she does, and so on and so forth. The other key aspect that is so critical in um, in addiction, but really anything, is spirituality. Um, I believe. And we have a, our, our next guest right now is uh, William Cusack, who's a spiritual counselor here in Los Angeles. Uh, welcome to the show. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for coming. Good to be here. Uh, yeah, I, I, Julie and I went over a crazy fact, and I just wanted to get your two cents on it. I found this morning, um, and granted, I think these stats are a little are extremely conservative, uh, but mm-hmm. 206 people die each day from either a drug or an alcohol-related issue. Um, and how staggering I mean, that's, a, that's an insane number on what goes on here. And um, I, I, what's your thoughts on that whole thing? I'm surprised it's that low, actually. I think it's conservative. It has to be. That's it, uh, There's more people out there in trouble than those stats indicate. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, you look at these towns in, from New Hampshire to Virginia, parts of Wisconsin I know of, that, I mean, people are just ODing left and right. And... It's kind of, um, you know, next week we're going to be talking about a lot about um, opiate abuse uh, with Dr. Yeah. Kambam, and uh, we'll get into that later. But um, you as a spiritual counselor, um, this is my favorite subject, by the way. Um, I love it. When I got my act back together, um, I literally came in, um, I went in thinking that, you know, I am 100%, a counselor said to me, she said, you are spiritually bankrupt. Mm. And we're going to make you spiritually profitable. And I've, mm. I've just walked around with that quote for the last nine and a half years because it is so true. And I really look at the reason why I added a spiritual component. I mean, whether you're 12-step or non-12-step mm-hmm. program, whether you are um, a world-class athlete or just a you know an average Joe athlete, um, 
there is a spiritual component because I think anytime you change your life mentally, physically, um, you have to have a spiritual, you know, mojo going on in order to accomplish that. What's your thoughts on that? Well, my understanding is that when deity created everybody, it created people with one thought in mind, which was it can't go any farther on its own without help from another person. And so everybody was created to help consciousness grow. And without that person, consciousness cannot grow and fulfill all of its potential. So when somebody sits in my chair and says, you know what, I don't think life is worth living, my job is to redirect them towards the reality that they were created not just for themselves but for everyone's benefit. And that self-ownership is their responsibility, not figure out life's problems. Who you are, respond to it, love it, cherish it, treat it well, learn how to develop it, and you will find why you're here. It is, it's not anybody's job to sort of cope with life or put aside problems. Problems are in our lives to help us develop the identity that deity provided us with in the first place. And so when you get into drugs, what you're trying to do is you're trying to sidestep the development process because drugs sort of take you off the hook. It feels like when you're high that you don't really have the problems you have. Yeah. And so the benefit of getting high is it feels like, well, life is okay, even though all these apparently terrible things are happening or that there's no hope, which isn't true. I mean, it's, it's artificial intelligence in a sense. It's, it's artificial emotion. It's artificial emotion. It's it's groundless there's no floor um i mean one way to say another way to say bankrupt would be no foundation so when the drug goes away you emotionally collapse physically spiritually everything collapses you yeah. know so spirituality is building a foundation based on who you are and self-acceptance yeah those of you who know the big book know that it says that acceptance is the answer to every problem that's true for spiritual development as well mm -hmm. self-acceptance is the answer to every problem so people are generally not comfortable, even without drugs, with the aspect of, or the prospect of having to accept who they are. Yeah. We're not exactly raised in a accept who you are in your individuality kind of society. I mean, there's very few societies yeah. like that. So we're really sort of not only fighting against what except we don't. who you are. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> because you've got all these things in this world. I mean, there's billboards up and down, you know, where we are in Los Angeles, constantly things telling you who you need to be and who you are, late night television, all this and all that. It's, it's don't accept who you are. Don't accept who you are. Take this pill. Listen to this. Do this. Do that. It's like there's whatever happened to the good old fashioned, what your mom and dad, I mean, granted, we have some mom and dads in the world that, you know, shouldn't be mom and dad, but, <laughs> sure. but let's, let's, let's not, let's talk more generally than that though. But it's like just kind of good old fashioned you know, moral obligation right. in this world, you know, right. and it's like, it's gotten hijacked. It's, yeah. like, it's, it's, there's so much artificial emotion that people are telling you what to have. There's very few things in this world that's pumping you up for what you are. That, you hear a couple feel good stories here and there, but what, I don't understand it. Yeah. Mostly it's who you are is not enough or isn't going to be enough. And you're going to have to fix it right now or there's no chance. And unless you figure out a way to be like whatever the value is or whatever the apparent norm is, you're, you're going to fall behind or 
and then people try to fit in and they're really not meant to and they wonder why they're not successful and then there's all this pointing or, or directing our attention at people who somehow do make it mm-hmm. in terms of fitting that value system or that norm and it's offered to us as proof that we did something wrong that we didn't fit in the way they did yeah and the reality is we're not meant to be like anybody else everybody's in everybody's business we're all up in everybody's business <laughs> i god bless the kardashians they make as much money i mean they're great at what they do but at some point it's like whose life is it you know i mean there's a lot of attention paid to that could be spent on developing who you are. But I think another thing is, you know, you just brought up a celebrity family, but I think even another thing, let's even bring it closer to home. Right. You're finding a son who is basically told by his father that he has to fit into his shoes. That's right. Or a mother saying, you need to fit into my shoes. That's right. To a daughter. Um, And it's constantly, it's constant hijacking. Constant. Constant hijacking of who they are and and, and, and to the patients that we deal with and the clients we deal with and people in in society, they don't know better when they're that young. That's all they know. I mean, that's just, they're going by what, you know, this person who feeds them, houses them, you know, gives them an allowance, you know, pets them on the back, you know, just like, you know, they they don't know better. They don't know. They don't know better. And until they come later into their late teens and early 20s, they're like, this kind of feels awkward. Yeah, now what? Now what? This is like, I don't know what's going on. But this is kind of awkward. Like, it's not, like, right. And if you try to change it, um, I can tell Bill and I are totally on the same page because (laughs) it's like, we see this every day. It's like, they don't know what's wrong. um, And if they try to change it, the family goes totally sideways. Right. Totally sideways. Um, So they're kind of giving them two different, like, scenarios here. We want you to do good on your own and have a good time. But you got to be like me. You got to be like me, which is mutually exclusive and incompatible in every way. My parents, the message they were was basically, "I'm sorry, you're a loser, but we love you and we can help you not be." Yeah, which is kind of, I mean, that's lethal. That's that's like, what are you going to do with that? Mm-hmm. It's everything you are has to change, but we have the answer. Yeah, and I'm finding that parenting really and self-parenting is about everything you find yourself to be is the answer get help from people who are willing to help you be who you are and own it and use it so that you're better off and the people who have earned the right to be in your life are better off. Yeah. And by earning the right to be in your life, that is they support your identity. Yeah. If they're not doing that, chances are you need to move them away from a significant role or any kind of significant influence. What do you do when a client comes into your office? Because I know, you know, what's your, you know, I'm going to spiritual counseling, you yeah. know, what, what, you know, people don't, I, when I did that, I was like, what is this? You know, I immediately thought of God. Um, I didn't, um, I just didn't know what it was. I didn't know anything what it was. What, how do you approach that with a client? Well, what I do is if, if everybody's identity is unique, then I have no business telling anybody who they are, what to do, first of all. So... When someone comes into my office and sits down, my first question is, who are you? So, and if spirituality is not following authority towards some abstract goal, if it's self-ownership, 
then the next question is, what are you doing about it? If this is who you are. Yeah. And if you're running from it, how is that working for you? Who you are. When you ask somebody who they are, I mean, how do you feel? What? In other words, I would be tongue-tied. Sure. I mean, and I think, I, and I don't know if somebody asked me that, I can't remember it, but. It's I a mean, huge question. I mean, I, I remember I was doing a, I was doing a thing yesterday, um, or two days ago, on Sunday, and I had to write up this little description about myself for this other thing, and I, I was reminded of a fact that when I got straight, I counted 12 different Rosses, hmm. 12 totally 12 different people to, that I would act, that I would literally how I would act. So there was one way I would act around my mom and another way I'd act around, say, my brother and another way I'd act around my friends that lived in Chicago and another way friends that lived in Wisconsin or this or that. Mm-hmm. The list goes on and on. Um, and so if somebody asked me, you know, who you are, I mean... Which one? Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, and where and when? And it's like, and I remember going to treatment, and I was, I was, a di- I made up a different thing there too, because you know, it's just like, I mean, we get a lot of clients here that, mm-hmm. I mean, to ask them who they are, I mean, what a honey hole of a question to ask. Sure, it basically comes down to, does the behavior you're in feel consistent with who you are? And the answer is. If it causes discomfort or pain, the answer is no, it is not who you are. But how do they know what comfort and, um, and pain, uh, discomfort and pain is? So if, because if it's all they know. Right. So if they make a decision, let's say they're going to do what their parents say and they feel depressed, chances are that what their parents have in mind for them is not consistent with who they are. Mm-hmm. And usually they'll recognize that right away and say, yeah, I don't want to do that. I want to do this. And it's the ability to respond to what makes them feel motivated, that is the difference between spirituality and a lack of spiritual development. Yeah. So basically everybody comes with the ability to know who they are built in or there would be no chance for anybody. I mean, we have to have some kind of uh, facility for this kind of thing or there's no point to it. So once you get down to sort of basic questions like, what creates pain and what doesn't? What creates motivation? What creates excitement? What creates a sense of well-being? Then you're starting to get answers to who are you. You are the person who is not comfortable doing what others say simply because it will make them more comfortable. Like my sponsor tells me, advice is what you give people to make you more comfortable with someone else's behavior. Nothing to do with who they are. Well, I never heard of that. Yeah. That's kind of nuts. Yeah. And guilt is when you do the right thing for you, but you don't have the self-esteem to back it up. So if you're feeling guilty because you went off and didn't go to college, that was the right thing for you. And only you have the answer to that. There is no you should have gone to college. Yeah. There's you should have been responsible to, for who you are and found your way and put the decision off to later or whatever it is. But your response to your situation is an in-the-moment thing. So you can say, well, I'm not going this semester and have a totally different experience six months later. I should have gone to college when I was 27. Yeah. My brain didn't even start working Me too. until I was 27. <laughs> I mean, I mean, honestly, I wasted that money, honestly. So did I. 
hundred percent. Would have been much better if you'd taken that money and put it into some kind of escrow <laughs> or something, uh, 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 an account, savings account, and said, "Let's just see if, in fact, you know, this kid even wants to go to college later." You know? No, hundred percent. No, this is a wild subject. By far, my favorite subject because when somebody goes into treatment, it is so. Um, you know, you need you need the help with the with the psychologist. You know, working on you know the trauma and the anxieties and the depressions. You need help with finding jobs, going through old bills. Maybe you got creditors after you. Um, mm-hmm. You need help with the chemical dependency aspect of it. Just getting educated of you know, what cocaine does to your head and what alcohol does and this and that. But I really look at the spiritual component. Is the is the ribbon. Uh, on the whole thing there is not and i want to get to this in our next segment um you know religion and spirituality what's the difference and i want to get in that on the next thing but you cannot do anything in this world until you find your personal rhythm and when you find your personal rhythm um and this these are just my 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 two cents on the thing is if you don't have your personal rhythm going you are not going to be able to, you know, score touchdowns, shoot, you know, shoot three throws. Mm-hmm. You are not going to be able to keep a job, land a job. You are not going to be able to function. You are going to constantly fall for something because you don't believe in anything. If you don't believe in something, you will constantly fall for something. Right. And it's you're finding your own your own way while you're being bombarded on a daily basis by billboards, by late night TV, by you know you know, celebrities, this and that, you have to have this in order to have this. Hey, we're in Los Angeles. You have to have a Mercedes, to, apparently, or a Range Rover in this town in order to fit in. Um, it's kind of mind-blowing. Um, right. I've been totally guilty of that. Um, we got to take a quick break. We're going to come back with uh, William Cusack, spiritual counselor here at Rebo's Treatment Center in Los Angeles um, in a couple minutes. And uh, thanks for listening. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Getting sober isn't just about not drinking and not doing drugs. It's a way of life. At Rebos, we have a team of talented professionals, each with their own clear and distinct message to walk clients from the darkest point in their lives out into the light. Rebos offers a carefully curated selection of groups and workshops in addition to a minimum of six individual sessions per week. At Rebos, we believe there are no cookie-cutter clients, and we meet every individual where they are at today. It's not a Rebos program. It's your program. Our team wants to help as many people as possible become who they want to be. And if you don't know who you want to be, we'll help you. Visit Rebostreatment.com to learn more about the Rebos Treatment Center. That's R-E-B-O-S Treatment.com. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to The Power to Create Yourself with Ross Ramin. To find out more about Ross and the program, visit the Rebos Treatment Center website 
at rebostreatment.com. Now, back to the power to create yourself. Hi, welcome back. This is Ross Ramin. Um, thanks for joining us again. Uh, we're here live uh, with William Cusack at the Rebos Treatment Center in Los Angeles. Uh, we're talking about spirituality. Today's all about drugs and spirituality. What a combo. Um, <laughs> uh, what a combo. Um, they go hand in hand. They really do. Um, spirituality goes hand in hand with pretty much every single thing um, out there mm-hmm. uh, we find. Um, I find when I talk to clients, um, and uh, whether it's here at our place or at the other places I've worked at, that the spiritual need that uh, that the human body, the spiritual, yeah, the spiritual need that the human body needs mm-hmm. um, is so huge. Mm-hmm. Um, People think it's, you know, spirituality is meditation. People think spirituality is religion. People think spirituality has to do with a God. Um, and I know what my two cents are on it. Um, you know, I, I remember somebody had told me, um, I used to hold on to this quote all the time, spirituality is for, religion is for people that don't want to go to hell and spirituality was for people that had already been to hell. Um, I learned that like 15 years ago and I thought it was... Mm-hmm. I thought it was kind of cool. Um, you know, maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. I don't know. Um, you know, there was kind of blew my socks because religion always, it didn't make sense to me growing up. Sure. It was like, I felt like I was, I was taking somebody's word for that they heard from somebody else that heard through somebody else 2000 years ago. Right. It's telephone. It's a telephone game. Right. It's totally the telephone game. And and religion just seems so just I, – I just – I couldn't – it wasn't – it wasn't that I didn't agree with it at all. It was more of the sense that it's like I just don't get it. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't seem common sense to me. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't lay out to me. It's like – to me it was like geometry. Yeah, there is an answer at the end of it, but I don't get it. Like, I, I just don't get it, how this works. And when I was introduced to a spiritual counselor, what that actually, wh- what they did, I just, the religion thing came out of my head. Um, and I just, I kind of wiped my plate clean because I was like, well, what do I know about anything? I'm a raging crackhead right now. So right. For, let's forget about my views on women, on men, on families, on religion, on everything. And this is just, we're going to wipe the slate clean and... I'm just, let's talk about spirituality and what that was. Um, what's, what is your idea? What's the difference between spirituality and religion? Well, and can you, is, is there, yeah. uh, you know, and I'm difference. sure this, this is, I, Bill and I were talking during the break, this is a great topic because this presses so many buttons. Um, what is it? What's the difference between the two? And can they co-mingle? Spirituality is an internal compass. Religion is an external compass. So... There's all kinds of different levels of spiritual development based on an individual's willingness to accept who they are and develop and use for their own benefit and the benefit of others. If people are not willing to do that, there's going to come a point where they're going to lose any ability to turn within for a sense of direction. If you don't have yourself as your guide, then you're going to look for something external to you for answers. And without knowing how to decide what is a viable source of direction, 
people tend to look towards authorities for a reason to commit. So in other words, this has been going on for centuries and this is what uh, these people believe and this is the organization and if you do what we say, you will get these benefits and it eliminates the kind of possibility of going wrong by turning within and ending up somewhere you don't want to go. So it's sort of like a crutch until you have enough comfort, uh, comfort with who you are that you can then branch out and start to stand on your own two feet and make some decisions. Yeah. So what it appears in your case is despite being a raging crackhead, you had enough development <laughs> that you knew there was something internal that you could rely on to lead you forward if you're willing to work with it. Yeah, I almost believed it wasn't like a, you know, God is another conversation. Well, I mean, it could be a conversation today, but like, I'm just trying to break it up. It was, I kind of thought of it was like, you know, first before I know what God is, it's like I've got to become in sync with my, with who I am. You know, I, you know, you mm-hmm. can look at my picture. I mean, I had to come to sync that I have a, that I have a hair problem on top of my head, um, or lack thereof. <laughs> you know, it's like accepting what it is. It's not like a God thing. You know, it's a, you know. So when I was getting sober, it's like, it's kind of like you got to walk before you can run, or I don't know what what it is, but it was like. Mm-hmm. spirituality just seemed like a base level you have to become spiritual inside yourself and what that is is just kind of getting in accepting who you are mm-hmm. but you can be spiritual and religious correct well spirituality as far as i understand it is self-ownership and that's a process of trial and error um where you get the consequences and you get the benefits and you own those and you earn everything you have mm-hmm. um real learning is where you don't know the answer before the learning. So if you're going to grow, you're not going to know what the answer is. You're not going to know what you're going to grow into in advance of the experience. Otherwise, you already know what you're doing. Yeah. So if you're going to get bigger and stronger than what you are, you are not going to have a sense of what that is. Mm-hmm. The only way to move forward is through a process of trial and error. With enough consequences, you can eliminate one direction, drugs, and then you're sort of forced to re-examine everything and take a new approach and commit to a new direction, which here at Rebos is self-ownership. So But what if a person comes into your it comes into your into your session, okay? Uh-huh. They are diehard Catholic. They believe right. in it. How do you roll with that? Well, my job isn't to tell anybody anything about what to believe or not to believe because every individual's identity is unique and has its own answers. So my approach to them would be, how is it helping you and what do you like about it and what does it have that can help you get where you want to go? Yeah, it's theirs. Um, it is absolutely and that, theirs. That's okay. Uh, it's a framework, it's a context, it's a way for them to approach all these different subjects. It's it's not without merit. There's, there's things in every religion that have uh, the the potential to help people, depending on the person. Totally. But spirituality is not one size fits all. Mm -hmm. And despite what you may hear from the religions themselves, they would like to be able to claim that their beliefs are for everyone. Yeah. But that's not, in fact, true. Um, So if someone comes in, sits down, says they're a Catholic, then everything within that 
that can help them get sober is fair game. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And is it working or not? Because what they can't do is say, well, I trusted in the Catholic Church and I didn't get sober. It's their fault. That's what you can't do. Mm -hmm. So you really have to sit there and work it out. Is it helping or not? Is it consistent with who you are or not? And if, if they find that it is not helping them, then at that point we can work with, well, what would? What do you think would? Because you can't know in advance what that answer is going to be. So you have to sort of come up with a new direction, which is scary if you're leaving behind something you're comfortable with and you, your sobriety is resting on your new approach. Yeah. Because people tend to think, well, I don't know how many of these relapses or whatever I have left. I, at some point, I have to get this. Yeah. There's urgency to these questions. Yeah. So the first question is, who are you? How is it helping? Yeah. And don't take my word for it. Because you have to be the one to make it work. Yeah. Because we don't want to be, we don't want to create dependence on us any more than we want to create dependence on anything There's else. a certain amount of hand-holding that goes on in the beginning, though. Sure. Absolutely. Sure. But at the end of the day, it's just like anything. you got to let that bird fly. Got to, yeah. And they have to, but they have to, with evidence, see that the wings are working. And that's what we try to focus on, is making sure on a daily basis they are actually using their wings every day to get better, to get a little bit stronger, because it doesn't matter how much time you have, you have to constantly get stronger. Well, with everything. It doesn't happen any other way. It's, it's like that's the world. It's you name it. It's just what it has to be for everything that we do. You know, it's I always said when I was when I was getting my act together, I felt like there was good versus evil going on inside me. Mm. I mean, literally like the, da the danger uh the danger. The angel and the devil on my shoulders. Mm -hmm. Um and I really I really thought that I was in a spiritual warfare. Mm. I thought it was, I, I literally had a voice in my head telling me that everything was going to be okay. Mm. But, you know, everything will be okay, but it really won't be. And, you know, it's like, everything will be fine. You can just keep smoking, you know, keep smoking crack, keep, you know, storing cocaine, keep hanging out with these girls and these guys that are doing X, Y, Z to you. Mm. Um, and then I always had another very faint voice, very faint, was telling me, just hold on, hold on, you got it, you got it. And it was really, it took me months and years to really build up, you know, that confidence level mm -hmm. to like kind of really, you know, like push it over. Mm -hmm. And it's still, I mean, uh, you know, I'm nine and almost nine and a half years, you know, sober and it's, you know, I've got confidence issues at times. You know, it's like, great, somebody just gave me a radio show. And it's like, you know, I can sit and talk to everybody. And it's like, no big deal. It's totally up my totally up my gig of something that I would do really well. And But it's like, God, you can't do it. You can't do it. Um, it's not going to work for you. Or you can't be this person. That's the flying blind part. Life will put you in a position so that you have to learn something you don't already know about you. And you have to trust that because it's there – you're meant to learn and grow from that experience. So, I mean, as addicts, we tend to shy away from anything that's new based on 
what we think the addiction is telling us is that we're going to fail. Yeah. And nine out of ten times, although there are mistakes or there's a learning curve or whatever, we get where we need to be. So it's no see. I mean, it's no it's no accident that this radio show is put in front of you. It's a critical part of your development. Yeah. So what what is the um you know we get clients that come in here on a daily basis and you know they they just they don't want to be sober. Mm-hmm. They want to be sober but they don't want to be sober. Right, right. You know they they know that they know what they need to do but they don't know what they need to do. You know, we only got three minutes left before we got to go. But what do you, what is the advice? You know, there's people just because you know you need help doesn't mean you want the help. That's right. What's your advice for people out there that are dealing with this right now? You know, it's like parents. You've got you know active users, loved ones. How do De- they- Deity created valid energies. Okay. And it's our job to discover that validity and use it. If we're not willing to see what we cannot see which is our validity. There will come a point where we'll either be in so much pain that we'll throw up our hands and say, what's next? Or we'll commit to not wanting to develop who we are. And what life is meant to do and what addiction is meant to do is prevent anyone from going so far backwards that they can't recover from that self-negation. So while you are engaged in self-negation, the part of you that was designed for self-ownership was waiting for your experience with the consequences to overwhelm your reluctance to own who you are. So when the consequences got bad enough, the part of you that is willing to own who you are was able to emerge and take control. Yeah. So as long as you, as long as every addict is willing to continue with the process of self-ownership, that struggle's over. Yeah. Um, William, it's a pleasure to have you on board today. I really appreciate it. My Thanks pleasure. for coming out and talking about this. This is obviously a hot topic. It can go so many different ways, um, right. and it's just kind of mind-blowing. I'd like to thank everybody for joining us today um, with Julia Gindy um, and William Cusack uh, for coming on in and chatting about drugs and spirituality with us. They do go hand-in-hand. Um and tune in, please, next Tuesday, um, 9 a.m. Pacific. Uh, we'll be coming to you from Los Angeles again. I uh, appreciate you all, and have a wonderful day. This is The Power to Create Yourself, and I'm Ross Ramin. Have a good one. Thank you for joining us this week on The Power to Create Yourself. We hope to have you tune in again next Tuesday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, for another edition with Ross Ramin on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have an enlightening week.